someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grains and goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up for himself, lays up treasure for himself, and is not rich towards God. Jenna, thank you for reading. So Jesus told us stories like the one that you just heard. And he told us those to help us live in the real world, not a make-believe world. He told us these stories. Many of them were about human-to-human relationships. So some were certainly about uh, soil, about seeds, about trees, about birds, but Many of them give us a window into human interaction, like the the prodigal son and the good Samaritan that we've covered over over the last couple of weeks. But this one, this particular parable, this particular story, zeroes in on one human. And and it, it makes us go into his thoughts and into his actions. We're using these short stories that Jesus told us to ask him to respond to some big questions. I've mentioned a couple times as we've been reading the parables that I think it's critical as you enter into the stories of Jesus to to really pay attention to the beginning of the story, what prompted the story to be told in the first place. Looking at that, paying attention to that, because so many clues of how we're supposed to interpret the parable, understand the parable, apply the parable, deal with like, well, why was the question even asked to begin with? So in what Jenna just read, we have this random person kind of vocally, I mean, raising their voice to get Jesus' attention, and not just to get his attention, but to push Jesus in a certain direction. And that direction was to put him in the middle of a family squabble about inheritance. So those things are are crazy complicated, crazy difficult at times, navigating and, and People go out of their minds at times when it comes to inheritance. And here Jesus is being prompted, provoked, like, will you tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me? Maybe, maybe we don't know what is driving this request, but it could be anxiety. I mean, in an economy that valued land and really didn't have an opportunity for an entrepreneur to just kind of raise up it and, and make, up, make money and all that, I mean, land was extremely valuable and this brother is getting written out of that. And, or, or is it just flat greed? We're not told, but I think it's likely there's some of that going on. Jesus knows the hearts and, and motivations even when we don't. But, but I say it could be greed because Jesus responds in some interesting ways, regardless of what prompted the man to yell out to Jesus and say, I need you to get into this family dispute here. Whatever prompted that, Jesus, we know what Jesus said. First of all, he says, man, 
who made me, in verse 14, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Which is so critical that we cannot miss that. What Jesus says, what Jesus says here at the beginning is that he is not merely going to be at our disposable, disposal individually. Like, yeah, whenever you want to get something, just bring Jesus in and he'll always be the one, the means by which you get what you want. Jesus is not going to do that. He's not going to play that role. He says, I am not the judge or the arbitrator over you in this family dispute. He won't be used like that. Not, not then, not now. But then it goes further. It says in verse 15, Jesus said to them, so he's having a conversation with the man, but then there's a large crowd, it says at the beginning of Luke 12, following him, and now he speaks to them, and he says, take care or be, be on your guard against all covetousness. So he speaks to the crowd, and he calls out this real danger of greed, this real danger of covetousness, all kinds of it, all kinds of pursuits and desires that drive decisions that ultimately could be harmful, harmful to your own soul, harmful spiritually, harmful to others. And he says on this, be on your guard. Who's his audience? Well, when he's talking about being greedy, it would be, it'd be possible to think, well, he's just talking to the people who have a lot of money and telling them quit being so greedy. But yet he actually is addressing at least one person in the crowd who feels like they don't have enough and is wanting to protest. So I feel like this is just applicable whether you have a lot of money or whether you kind of look over and go, must be nice. I'd I'd like to have that. And Jesus says to everybody, take care, be on guard against all forms of covetousness. Because for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his or her possessions. Be on guard because your life is not all about, it does not equal having more possessions than you could ever possibly need or want. That's not what life is about. Other places in scripture, we know exactly what life is about. Because Jesus says, I've come to give you life and not just like a little bit of life, but abundant life, eternal life, and life is a relationship with the Father, according to the book of John. Jesus would even say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So life isn't about all these things we could accumulate. And to help us appreciate that, he launches into a story. It helps the crowd, probably helps that individual, helps us as well. Because these stories have a way, and the dynamics, the way stories work, is they, they do disarm us. So gets past even kind of our defense mechanisms and helps us live into the characters of the story but it also stories like this make us do some soul-searching work and that's what I want us to do today again the story has one main character and as we review this story I want you to listen for one thing in particular I want you to listen to the number of times like the word me my I himself because because it's disproportionate in this passage look at Luke chapter 12 and verse 16 Jesus told them a, a parable a story saying the land of a rich man produced plentifully and he thought to himself what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops and he said I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. 
and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And verse 19 is the clincher here. He says, and I will say to my soul, and I want us to really dial into these verses here. I will say to my soul, soul or self, you have ample goods laid up for many years. So relax, eat, drink, and be merry. What you see in that verse is a, it's a mindset, but it's, I guess because he addresses himself like soul, I I wonder if it's like a a soul set. I'm not sure that's a word, but I think that is what's going on because it's not just mentally what's going on. It's in his heart, in his desires. He's saying, this is kind of the way it is for me right now. So we're, we're into his head, hearing what's going on into his heart. And, and did you pay attention? Like, what, what exactly was said in verse 19? I, I have a lot. I have ample goods. I have more than I could ever need. And they are stored up. They are laid up for many years. In other words, I not only have a lot, but I have the means to make it secure for a very long time. It's going to be okay. I'm not going to have to worry about things. It's not going to run out. He's got what he feels like is like a really good loss prevention strategy. This is not going to be a problem. I've got everything all piled up. It's going to be okay. And now he says, I can live the way I want to live for the foreseeable future. And how is that? I can live responsibility-free, carefree, because I can walk by my barn and go, I got all kinds of stuff laid up there. And because I can live the way I want to live for the foreseeable future, I can relax. I can de-stress. I don't have to think about what everybody else has to think about. Because I'm okay. I can do the things that make me happy. I can eat and I can drink. And in the end, I can feel really good about it. I can be merry. It's all good. If I said, like, Okay, you de-stress, you do the things that make you happy, and you feel good. Like I would think every bit of advertising, every bit of marketing is pushing us to say, that's the whole goal. That's the world you want to live in. That's why you would get on a reality show to win a million dollars, because you want to live in the world where you can de-stress, do whatever you want to do, and feel really good about it. I can't help but believe like that's... Yeah, that's every culture, every place, every time. Yeah, sure. But that is especially a heartbeat of our world that we live in. We put that life on a pedestal and say, that is what living is about. And if I'm not there, boy, I'd like to be there. If I see someone that is there, I go, that must be nice. That's the goal. Well, the question is, not just like how do we as a culture, like what will the advertisements that I watched this afternoon point me to, but what am I supposed to think about it all? What is supposed to matter to me? It's really wise for us to stop and listen, especially to the first few words of verse 20 in our chapter. Because verse 20, the first few words say, but God said. It's like, whatever pursuits this man had or thought were important, but God said. How much does that factor into our equation. What does God say? But God said to him, fool, this night 
your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? But God said, there's a dimension of time you did not factor in. Like this night, it all ends. You don't control time. Most unexpectedly, this happens to him when he, when he least thought this would ever be a reality. This night. And then there's accountability. Your soul is required of you. Implying God sees all and demands all and knows all and your soul is demanded of him. There's an accountability here. So you've accumulated and everything you've worked for, what will it mean right here to the one who made everything, including you? So there's time and there's accountability and there's control. The things you've prepared, can you keep securing that for your own benefit going forward? Can you do that? Can you hang on to that? Can you hold on to that? The conclusion of this is in verse 21, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself but is not rich toward God. Again, Jesus is not just talking to the rich people who have more than they could ever want or need. He's talking to all of us. And what I'd like to do for a little bit is to walk you through what I'm going to call a treasure audit. We could also call it a soul audit. I'm guessing if you know anything about audits, that doesn't conjure a lot of warm fuzzies for you. Generally, this is an uncomfortable place to go. I want us to use this story, though, to be our guide through this audit. We want to ask the questions. Here's what we want to do. We want to ask the questions that the rich fool did not ask. We want to take our, our, our heart through these things. And I want everybody to do it. Whether you're 12, whether you're 82, everything in between. Like, I, I, want, I want you to take an audit. And, and, and I recognize, even by saying the word audit, you may go, man, all, here it goes. Like, here, the preacher's just going to make me feel guilty. It's his Sunday morning routine. And that's actually not. Actually, that's not my goal. My goal is much more illumination. That you just, like, see reality. Like, I, I want you to see what's going on in your heart, in, in your world. I want, I want to know what's going on in my heart as well. I, I want us to be confirmed in some areas. So as we take a treasure audit, I want us to be confirmed in areas where, from my perspective, there are many of you making decisions. I don't know every detail of your life, but many of you are, your treasure is in some amazing things. And, and maybe this world has told you because you don't have this in a bank account, because you don't have this luxury and this gadget, you're really not. So I, I would love for you to get like reality check on that and be confirmed that no, no, I'm giving my life to things that even though the world doesn't say they're valuable, actually are incredibly valued. They have incredible value. And then I, I would like for us to be transformed if we need to be, to reevaluate some things. So here this is a, a treasure audit to make sure our heart is rich toward God. Question number one in this audit is, what am I storing up? Or another question would be, what would I like to be storing up if I had the means? But I don't. But if you did, what are you storing up? What would you like to be storing up? So the rich man in the story was blessed. I mean, he didn't make the rain come or the sunshine, but the crops grew incredibly. 
At this point, I don't want you to just, I don't, I don't even want you to judge. I just want you to notice. So can I walk you through the audit here of what are you storing up? Do you have a collection? Do you have a hobby? Do you have the, the bank statements, the retirement statements, the investment statements? What, what are you storing up? Do you have toys? Do you have gadgets? If we were to go into your property, your yard, your desk, your house, my basement, what's stored up there? What's on my computer? What about the plans? What about the stuff? If I were to just, again, do an audit of my calendar, it would say, Curtis, you spend your time. If time is money, you spend a lot of time doing this, a lot of time doing this, a lot of time doing this. If I were to take your screen time, if you were to take mine, how many hours, what, what, what is that? What is that showing that you treasure, you store up? If we looked at your wish list, official or unofficial? If we were to look at your search history or what you daydream about, if we were to assess like what it means, the, the number of followers, the number of likes, the days on a streak, what is that telling you? If we were to go to your text log or, or your messages, if we were to go to your photo album, your awards, your achievements, your grades, your results. Again, I, I'm not even asking you to judge at this moment. I'm just saying, do you take notice? My guess is that every six months or so, I, I think what I've noticed is that changes. Like, not completely, but it changes somewhat over time. Like, certain things that used to matter to me six months ago, I'm like, I'm going to throw that in the trash. I don't care about that anymore. And then other things like, no, no, I, I'm going to spend my time doing that. So you've noticed some things. Now another question. I don't think the question's going to get any easier, but audits aren't that easy anyway. What are, what are my end goals? What do I really want out of the stuff I'm storing up? Well, we know from the stories the man built a bigger barn, but the bigger barn was just a means so he could chill out, party, and be happy. That's what he wanted. The barns were just a means of doing that. So if you go to my house, you don't, you're not going to see a lot of barns on my property. But, but what are my goals? And this stuff that I'm storing up, I peel back a little bit further. What do I, what's my end game? What do I really want? Am I looking for relief? Escape? Pleasure? When I store stuff up, is it my primary way of dealing with being stressed, anxious, nervous? If you looked at, like, again, with the audit, if you looked at the things I stored up, does, do I count on this, like, yeah, when I have that, I feel content, I feel, like, at ease, I feel settled. Is there some sense in what I'm storing up about the past? Am I holding on to something from the past that I don't want to forget? It matters to me, it means something to me, and I want to keep it close to me. Is there something there that I'm holding on to? Has something crossed, in the, crossed the line of hoarding? Would I know? Would I be able to tell? Or would I just see myself and go, ah, it's not that. Whatever it is, it's not that. Am I, am I prepping for doomsday? 
What, what, is, what, is, what am I storing up? Does the eternity factor into this at all? Does meeting God factor into this at all? What, what is my end game? What are we trying to do? Taking the pieces of the things that are like our barns and they're telling a story. They're giving us a perspective. What are you seeking? What are you pursuing? What are you giving your heart to and why are you doing it? And I'm not saying it's easy to answer this because our heart is deceitful above all things and it's just wicked. It, it'll take us down like we'll, we'll excuse things but can we just for a moment go like what do I think my end game is? As long as I have this, it provides me this and then I feel secure. What is that? Third question, how self-serving is what I am storing up? How self-serving and I say that because, again, remember the story where it's like me, my, I, himself, he, I, my. I mean, it's just like again and again and again. How self-serving is what I am storing up in a way that I'm not really rich toward God because I, I got my treasure stored up in other things. A couple of cautions on this, even as you are auditing this. and Don't make excuses. I mean, we can, we can bend twist stuff like, well, really what I store up is like, it's for my family. You know, it's like, ah, uh, well, it's for my friends. It's, I mean, we can play games with this stuff. My collection, it's really not for, you know, it's, we can do that. I'm going to encourage you not to do that. But on the other side, you could be oversensitive. Like, well, yeah, I, I've got a, I got a food, you know, pantry full of bread. And like, maybe I should just do rice and beans. And I pay too much for the bread. And I look at, I'm storing, you know, got an extra box. I mean, you could, you could be done with this, but I really do think if you ask the Lord, like, okay, what am I really storing up? All the things that, man, I spent a lot of time on that website. I spent a lot of time thinking about that. I spent a lot of hours. I spent a lot of money doing that. What am I storing up? One last question would be, how fragile is what I'm storing up? How fragile for all your efforts, for all my efforts, could I lose it? How easily, how quickly? What would happen then if I lost it? Could it be rendered meaningless overnight? Like I ought to add something and apparently I have nothing. Are there factors beyond like, here I live in 2021, like are there factors beyond that that are gonna matter for a long time, like what about this says anything about 2040 or a million years from now? Do I take those into account? Could I meet God with this storehouse of things and go, here's what I stored up and I'm ready to meet you, Jesus? Could, could you do that? How fragile is what you're holding, what you've stored up? Audits tell a story and I, I do think often they are meant to even drive action and change. And yeah, maybe this has been an encouragement to you. You look at some things you've stored up and you go, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I would meet the Lord and go, yeah, I've invested my time this way because I, these things matter to me. And I think they matter to you and your kingdom. So would that be the case? Or, or is there some course correction? Are there some limits, some governors that you need to put on something? So it doesn't just like take over. Yeah, some of that would be fine. But it's like, you don't have just minutes invested. You have days of your life invested in this. You have years. I mean, are, are there things like, yeah, it's okay to spend that, but like you have gone away over 
if you're storing up this to this degree, I mean, I think you can ask some of those questions. If there's transformation that needs to happen, here's what, here's what I do believe. I, I believe it's never too late. God's mercies are ready to meet you. But I don't think you can go it alone. So if you've been storing up all kinds of things and you realize this is a gut check for me, Curtis, I, I think I have been kind of not living the way I sh- I've been making some terrible investments on things. I just would caution you thinking you could find your way out of this by yourself because the man, again, the man only has one talking partner. It's himself. He's kind of playing all these scenarios in his own mind. I would encourage you. Like, that's why God gave us a community and friends. You may need someone who is for you, but could give you some objective counsel before you make that major purchase, before you do another thing. Maybe maybe it's the person you actually kind of don't want to talk to, but you know, they love you. They are with you. They will help you. Life doesn't consist of what we possess. That's what Jesus said. That's because the way one song put it, our worth is not in what we own. I, I was listening to this song. It's, it's written by Keith and Kristen Getty and Graham Kendrick. My worth is not in what I own, not in the strength of flesh and bone, but in the costly wounds of love at the cross. My worth is not in skill or name or in win or, win or lose and pride or shame, but it's in the blood of Christ that flowed at the cross. As summer flowers, we fade and die. Fame, youth, beauty hurry by, but life eternal calls us at the cross. I will not boast in wealth or might or human wisdom's fleeting light, but I will boast in knowing Christ at the cross. Two wonders here I confess. My worth and my unworthiness and my values fixed, my ransoms paid at the cross so I can rejoice in my Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. I will trust in him, no other. My soul is satisfied in him alone. Yeah, our worth is wrapped up in Jesus, which gives us a far fuller and better experience. Like, we can actually realize, yeah, God gives us a ton of things that we can enjoy, makes our life a a thousand ways better. But in the end, we don't just think inward. We think upward and we think outward. How will what God has given me, what I'm storing up, how will that help me love God more, enjoy him more, praise him more, thank him more, bless him more, Use this more to make his name great, not my own. And, and God's given me these things. Okay, how do I serve my neighbor with it? How do I work for her advantage? How do I help him? What can I do? How can I show I care? There are some things that will matter that won't be rendered meaningless overnight. They can't be. There are things that matter for a long time. So you can have, have, you can have conversations. You can have, give wisdom for those who need it, empathy for those who are hurting. So you are a parent, and you're going to store up a lot of hours, a lot of time as a parent, invested in conversations and in guidance and in cleaning and in care and in feeding and in homework. And that's going to tell a story that your child will know the love of Jesus from parents who are committed to him. You're going to invest a lot of time. You have, you have skills. Each, each of you have skills that are going to Potentially make other people's lives easier to help them, to serve them. You're a caregiver. You're giving hours. Like you're storing up time after time after time, caring for someone who cannot take care of themselves. And you're making their life better, making it a little bit easier. 
by doing that. What are you storing up? You're storing up things that outlive you. You have money. You have money to be generous. You have money to relieve someone's burden. You have money to fuel the mission of God to go into all the world and make disciples. You have a personality. Maybe that personality lends itself to risk things for God, and you use that personality to to take steps of faith that actually call the rest of the congregation to, to go with you. You have gifts for building up. You have home for hospitality. You have people to sacrifice, to pray for, to walk with you. Things that go beyond you, things that will outlive you. I don't know what you're storing up, but today is the day that I'd love for you to take the audit and not blow it off. I'd love for you to do something that the rich fool never did. And that's just to assess what I'm living for. So again, we started, Jesus addresses the man with the inheritance demand, like, tell my brother to, he speaks to the wide crowd, but then it's almost like he pulls his disciples in in the next portion of scripture. And I'm going to close our service by reading the next section of scripture because it's so tied and I just want to read it and then we'll be done. It won't be on the screen because I, I do, I, I want you to just hear it and hear Jesus saying it. Maybe this is familiar to you or maybe you're hearing it for the first time. But Jesus gathers his disciples together and he says, I'm telling you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat. Don't be anxious about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food. The body's more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They, they don't sow. They don't reap. They don't have a storehouse. They don't have a barn. God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Oh, and which one of you, by, by being anxious, could add a single hour to his span of life? If you're not able to do such a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Yeah, consider the lilies, how they grow. They don't toil, they don't spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory wasn't arrayed like one of those. And so if God clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more, how much more, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith, don't seek what you're to eat. Don't seek what you're to drink. Don't be worried for how the nations of the world, they seek after these things, but... You have a father, and your father knows you have a need of him. Instead, seek his kingdom. These things will be added to you. Don't be afraid, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to just give you the kingdom. So you can sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourself with money bags that don't grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that will not fail when where no thief approaches it, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is. Let me pray. Father, this audit makes me uncomfortable, makes all of us step back and evaluate. And so help us, Lord and thought to this as we give time and thought to your words. Help us not to be overwhelmed by guilt. Help us not to find cheap excuses that justify when you actually could do deep heart work in us. 
So yes, Lord, we need your help and we need brothers and sisters in Christ. We need your Holy Spirit. We need insight into your word because we want our lives to not just be rendered meaningless in a moment. So help us, Lord, toward that end. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.